This podcast is brought to you by our partners at 8 Star Energy. 8 Star Energy, a clean energy company, leading the future of portable and renewable energy. To find out more, follow them on Facebook at 8 Star Energy. I want a checking purpose for football all the time. Now we've got our backs against the wall and we're going to fight and we're going to fight hard. You've got to show me all the guts and all the determination you've got in your body. You've got to inspire me. A marvellous kick. That's as good as you'll ever see. And puts Graham back in front. From inside the centre square, boys kick the goal. Boys kick the goal. From inside the centre. I Hey folks, welcome to Danny Boyd, a podcast about the greatest football club in the known universe, the Footscray Football Club, Petriatry Limited, trading as Western Bulldogs. Uh, my name is Danny McGinley, and with me, the other half of the show, and a man I forgot I, to look up an obscure stat for, so I'll just say, the uh, although we're thinking of number 17 for the dogs, we all know the number 17 of our hearts, Tom Boyd. Well, thank you, Danny. It's good to be here again. I must say that um, after the weekend, I was left really shattered. Obviously, the number 17 in Joshy Bruce going down at the end of the game in what was a disappointing affair already. Um, sad news leading to the finals, but never mind that. We've got a great guest with us today, obviously, over the virtual platform. Martin Flanagan, welcome to hey, Danny Boy. Flanagan. Uh, thank you. Thank you, fellas. Thank you. Now, it's, been a, it's been a while since we've caught up, Martin. I think the only yeah. time that we've really come across each other was back in 2017, it must have been, where we were going through the prelude to the book, um, A Wing from the Universe, together yeah. at a cafe in Albert Park. How's um, yes. has things been since then, mate? Oh, well, a lot has gone on since then, Tom. I, um, I, I, um, I, come, I, I was born in Tasmania, um, and, oh, we're going all the way back. All right. Yeah, and uh, and and then in 1985, I got the chance to go to the age, and my wife didn't want to go. She was a Tassie girl. She agreed to go for two years, uh, and after 35 years, she said, woke up one morning and said, I want to go home. So <laughs> we, we came back, and uh, so we're back in Tassie now. So that that's sort of the biggest change since then. And are you still uh, writing about footy and, and, and watching it, Martin? Because really, we need one of the great things about your writing is you can make even the most mundane thing sound like it was the most mystical, uh, exciting event of all time. Can you spin our heartbreaking loss to the Bombers uh, in a way that's going to make everyone feel uh, like the Premiership is locked in? Blow our lids off again, Martin. <laughs> well, I think, uh, well, Tom knows more than me, but I think Bevo is one pretty tough boy. I think the dogs are a tough side. Um, it's been such a topsy-turvy year. Um, I think the dogs have got about half a side that know what it takes to win a premiership. Um, I reckon, I reckon they go into the finals with a fair degree of confidence. That's that's how I'd see it. Yeah, I would say half a side is all you need, really. Um, so I do think that obviously, um, of Josh going down is a significant blow for us in the uh, the tour department. Obviously, leaving uh, young Norton down there to uh, to fight by himself to a degree will be interesting. But um, I want to go back a little bit to um, some of your writing, Martin, and, and yeah. some of the things that you've covered over the years. 16 now, books, is it? I think it's 21 now. Whoa. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, the uh, the internet can't even keep up with you, Martin. That's how quickly you're writing your books. 
what are some what are some of the highlights in terms of the things that you've written? I'm sure you have many, but are there any that really stand out to you over the years? Well, I um I I I, I have I'm one of those very fortunate people in life who got paid to pursue their passion. And every time I write a story that I thought was true, um, and particularly when it was about people that didn't have media profiles, I got such huge pleasure out of that. Um, And so, you know, there's so many stories that I did that still means so much to me. Um, And footy was just such a wonderful door for me to open um, because it's all about ordinary people. And um, when I left Melbourne, one of the things that made me proudest and happiest was the last phone call I got was from a woman who used to sit on the boundary and watch the dogs train in 1993 when I wrote the book on them. Um, and um, that's what it was, you know, that's what I loved was empowering ordinary people by telling their stories. And the thing I'm proudest of as a journalist was that I fought the fight um, to have stories appear as I wrote them. I didn't ever, I, I couldn't, I couldn't bear anyone interfering with my, with what I did. If I did a story on you and you trusted me, and my, you know, my greatest responsibility was to you, and um, and that's that's, I, you know, I loved what I did, and I I did it to the best of my ability, and um, I'm proud of it. It's hard yeah, to I fathom would. having that much freedom as a writer, especially these days in media. Like Martin, were you ever told by an editor, like you did write about the Bulldogs a lot and we thank yeah. you for it. Yeah. Uh, were you ever told like, hey, we need, you know, sure, this is a, a great story, uh, but can you add some Collingwood? Like I've got an absolute <laughs> genuine fear that we win the flag this year and I sit down to watch the AFL 360 on the Monday afterwards. They show a montage of highlights from Grand Final Day and then it's straight into, what does this mean for Essendon's trade week? (laughs) Well, um, the sort of story that I would most fear um, carrying would be one like Tom's, um, which is sensitive, delicate, unusual, uh, but if Tom trusted me with that story, my belief was that my primary duty was to him and not to my editors and not to the people who owned the media outlet. And that was what I fought for. And I was just so very lucky to get to the age at a time when they were a great newspaper and they, you know, I had to fight for it, but I, that was a battle I won. And um, and the more I was true to that, the more my audience respected me. And in the end, in doing what I did, um, the people who protected you were your audience because uh, the people who were trying to fuck around with what you did didn't have an audience um, <laughs> because they they'd never they'd never done it or they'd never done it well. And um, so um, so yeah that. That that was the that was the biggest thing for me. 
It is, and you, you, what, your first ever book. I mean, we're we're going to talk about a wink from the yeah. universe, of course. Which is yeah. the look with all with all due modesty, and I'm not a huge fan <laughs> of hyperbole, but the greatest piece of piece of writing since uh, since Neanderthals etched cave paintings. They all dreamt that it would finish with wink from the universe. But Southern Sky, Western Oval for our younger listeners, yeah. that was. A, a book you wrote about the 1993 season, which is yeah. two years before Tom Boyd was even born. Uh, <laughs> but it's sort of like the opposite of Wink from the Universe. Wink from yeah. the Universe about the 2016 season is about yeah. this ragtag group of heroes yeah. climbing Mount Everest. 93, so Tom, 92 Bulldogs out of nowhere had a brilliant year. We were yeah. we finished second on the ladder in the regular season, yeah. uh, didn't have a great finals, but uh Won a semi final against St Kilda, but it was we were favourites. Well, yeah. one, we were in the mix of yeah. Premiership favourites '93, which had yeah. never happened in my lifetime. And, yeah. it, and it was in a very Footscray way. It all went to pot. We started yeah. well. Uh, yeah. Well, we lost our first game, but then won a few. But then, yeah, didn't even make the finals. What yeah. I really want to know: What did you? First of all, I am going to ask what was the difference between the two years, but yeah. what were your first – had you spent much time at Footscray before that? What were your impressions of the place? Well, what happened was that I was trying to write a novel on footy about an Aboriginal player and a white player, and I, I, I knew Chris Lewis quite well and I knew Peter Schwab very well, and I was working towards that, and there was a great footballer – in the 60s and 70s, called Brent Croswell, who also happened to be a great writer. He's one of the great writers in the history of the game. And I'd gone to see him in Hobart, and um, I'm trying to write this novel, and he, he, he went into his bedroom and he came out with three pages, handwritten pages, uh, that were the start of a novel, and um, he read them to me, and I thought, I can't, that's... So much better. I just can't do better than that. And so I came back to Melbourne. I didn't know what I was doing. And Terry Wheeler rang me, and we had a connection. And we sort of got he was the coach at the time. I'm just oh, sorry. Yes, he talk was. Talk that through for the. I know some some kids do listen to this. So yeah, he oh, was right. coach sorry. at the time. He was the, yeah, he was the coach of the of Footscray at the time. And he he asked me to come out and write a book on the Bulldogs, and I, I thought I'll, I'll I'll do it I'll, because I'll learn more about the game and I'll be able to write my novel better. And so I went out and um, I, I didn't learn anything about the game, but I learned a whole lot about Melbourne and I learned a whole lot about the western suburbs of Melbourne and the Footscray Footy Club, the Western Bulldogs, they've got a unique history and um, I, I got into that and um, and and... So I spent the whole year with them, and it wasn't a good year, uh, but it was just a great education for me in the western suburbs of Melbourne and what that footy club meant to them. And and one of their young players at that time was Luke Beveridge. And and when they won it, he, he, he rang me up in 2016 when Big Tom played such a large part in them winning it. Um, he rang me up and he, he, uh, he wanted me to... To write it, and I, I couldn't. I had a full time job, and I was also um, looking after my grandson. And um, I met him to say I, I couldn't do it. And uh, we were sitting at this table, and so I met him with this this big meeting. And it was a very serious meeting, and and I had to say to him I, I couldn't do it. And then he said, 
But it's a great story, isn't it? It's like the Steven Spielberg moment where this this amazing presence landed between us and I said, yeah, it's one of the greatest stories in footy. I'll do it. <laughs> and that was, that was how it happened. But, um, yeah, the differences between 1993 and 2016, well, one of the differences, one of the huge differences um, in 2016, it's in the book, um, when two of the players from 1993, Steve McPherson and Steve Wallace, meet up on grand final day outside the ground and um, they've both got sons who've both wanted to play for the Dogs and it hasn't happened for either of them, one through injury, one's been moved on to another club and they meet and um, through a smile they both, Register to one another what the day means to them. Sad sort of smile because not only the sons are going to be involved. And um, that was one of the big things that struck me was that when when I went there in 1993, they were such a silent club. They were so quiet. No one hardly spoke and there was no history up around the walls. And when I went back in 2016, there were so many articulate young men. Um, that was one of the big changes that, that struck me. So I, I think um, you know, it's unfortunately the story of every grand final, right? It's the story of people who have missed out and people who have been successful through whatever at different means. And, and it's always the biggest heartbreak when you look across the list of players who deserve to be there. I mean, Bob Murphy's obviously one that's striking in terms yeah. of a guy who's paid his dues more than anyone at the football club and then yeah. obviously through a heartbreaking injury is unable to play. And yeah. I think um, your ability to cover that is an, uh, obviously in a massive part of the story as a whole. Did you um, find that part of the story more difficult to tell, especially when talking to players or ex-players who perhaps have missed out over the years? Um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say no. I didn't. Um, I mean, it was the thing I loved about it. Uh, the the thing I loved about that book was that during my time as a sports writer, like I started as a sports writer uh, in the 1970s when I played with a club in Tasmania called the Uni Footy Club, through to the end of my time, um, the big change was technology. And, and, and now I hardly read anything about sport or listen to any commentary. I just watch it often with music. Because the presentation of sport in terms of um, the electronic, you know, the images that are now provided of, of sport by, by, by television cameras, um, once upon, that was the, that was what writers did. That was what writers, that was the great privilege of being a sports writer when I started was that you got to go to see things other people couldn't see and you had to convey your excitement and your impressions of it. And um, and that that's largely gone. And now sports writing is largely about opinion. I'm not much interested in opinion. Um, I just love the excitement and the drama and the, the imagery of it. And that was the thing about the 2016 Grand final series and the book, uh, A Wink from the Universe, was that 
I got the chance to paint a grand final, uh, to paint all the the players of whom you were such an important one, Tom. But um, like I loved the story in that book of the young guy who's in Outer Mongolia when the grand final <laughs> happens, and he's gone to a Kazakh sporting day where the young people thunder across the plains with an eagle on their on their wrists because that's how they traditionally hunted. And he gets that, out that is the national sport. I've heard that. Like that's a big. Uh, it's is it? It's some sort of competitive thing with with eagles, but it's huge in Kazakhstan. This isn't just. Uh, yeah. It's like yeah, it's bigger than soccer there. Yeah, and and. He gets out there and it's grand final day in Melbourne and he thinks grand final day in Melbourne is better than Christmas, which I think it is, and um, and he can't get the score and he's gone out there on a bus and it's nearly broken him physically. It's been 50 hours or something in a bus. So he decides to hitchhike back and there's hardly any traffic and he gets picked up by a fella and they can't speak any language together. And I did a lot of hitchhiking in other countries when I was young. And you have that experience where you get in a car with someone, you've got no language with them, but you get on with them. And this guy's taken him home and he's got some internet connection and the guy's found out the dogs have won. And he goes out and buys a bottle of vodka and he and the Mongolians spend the night toasting the dogs. Even though they've got no word of language in common. That's one of my favourite stories. In that. Tom, when you're when you're kicking goals in the grand final, do, is it does it even make the top one thousand things to cross your mind that this is going to affect even regional Mongolia? <laughs> oh, def- definitely not. I think um, I think we've spoken previously on the show about the um, the impact that it makes to people that are on the periphery of the football club. But you're obviously not talking about people who are so far and away removed from the actual game. But I do think that um, one of the things that I often reference when I'm talking about the real privilege that it was to play in that game, Martin, is how the the elder fans in particular interact with uh. me as an ex-premiership um, player. Uh. One of the things that I often say is that the real um, magic that's within football and within sport more broadly is that the conversations I have with these people is like so much gratitude and so much uh. thanks from them for delivering something that they didn't think they were going to see before they oh. died. And oh, in that is just the magic of sport. Is, it, is that something that you've oh. come across over the years? Oh, well, that, that's – I mean, I can only imagine what, 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 what came your way. But, you know, the great um, John, Johnny Schultz, you know, the great, the great Bulldog elder, he had so many people coming to him saying so-and-so – he would have loved it so much if he was here. And in the end, he imagined this grandstand in the sky with all the people in it that would have so much loved to have seen that, to have seen what the Bulldogs did that day. Yeah, I mean, it was that, that was such a magic. Uh, it was so magic. Uh, I mean, that whole final series that month. Um, yeah, I, I can only imagine what people have said to you, Tom. But Tom, I don't know if we've talked about this on the on this pod. But uh, one story I've heard from the inside of uh, going into the the elimination final against West Coast Eagles, 
there was a bit of uh, the, the players of your generation going, well, yeah, the, heaps of teams have lost here, but we're not them. So almost like an arrogance, well, not, a, cop, a confidence and a, a healthy disrespect for history in that, well, you know, that happened to the old Bulldog sides. We are the current and we're going to win. Yeah, is that, I mean, is that I a think, true vibe? Well, I think so. I think Bebo's messaging in that first final was why not us or something like that. Um, and I think this sort of comes in moments in sport when you've got really nothing to lose because you're playing against the, you know, unbackable favourites in terms of the West Coast Eagles at their home ground. We've come off an absolute hiding against Fremantle two weeks earlier or 10 days earlier, actually, as it, as it were that week. And everyone's expecting us to lose. And within the building, we obviously had a lot of belief in terms of the performance we'd put out previously. And we'd had a really good record that year, which people often forget. You know, 15 wins is nothing to spit at in the, the modern game. So um, I think basically from our perspective, we just, um, you know, went after the silence of the crowd. That's essentially what we were chasing. And um, I certainly think we, we were able to accomplish that early on. You know, I think it's really funny, Martin, um, to slightly shift gears and, and refer back to what you were talking about in terms of watching football before. Would you believe that in um, the exact same way, I don't listen to the commentary when I watch the footy either, that I have to have music or something else playing in the background? Yeah. Because, well, I, I, yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I mean, the game, the, 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 the art of commentary and the art of actually, you know, as you say, painting the picture of a game of football has completely changed to when, even when I was a kid, you know, I used to read Mike Sheehan. I used to sort of read the personal pieces around AFL players and some of their stories. And over the years, as I sort of got closer and closer to actually playing professional football, those stories were getting culled more and more and more in favor of faster, quicker news segments. That, as you say, was completely, um, uh, you know, mopped up to the opinion of the journalist. Is that it, was that really challenging for you as um, you continued through your career to see that sort of magic of um, being able to paint the game disappear? Yeah, I, I think it was. Um, I, I, I was very influenced. I was a very poor player, but I had a great coach early on, and I met him recently. A black called Peter Hay. And I said, because um, he fell out of love with the game and he's back in love with it. I, I, I always get upset by people falling out of love with the game. And I said, so, and he started talking about it. And and um, and I said, you're back in love with it. He said, yeah, but I don't understand it. And I said, what, you don't understand what the commentators say? And he said, no, I don't. I said, well, when, when you fell in love with the game, when you were a child, you didn't have a commentator telling you how to see the game. You just went and saw it for yourself. And, um, and the, you know, like the older I get um, and the more muddled I get in my brain, the more sweet for me is like, is like jazz. Jazz is, uh, you know, the genius of Australian football is that it, it, it's not, it's unformed play, you know. It's not... It's not like rugby with all those rules. There's so much more freedom uh, in what humans can do. And, and, it's, and it's about you getting the ball and doing something inspiring and inspiring Tom and Tom does something inspiring and then I do something inspiring and it's, it's free-form play. And that's what I love. I just want to watch great play. That's what I watch footy for. Yeah, it does. It does look like that to us untrained, for us muggles, as we always say on this show. Tom, how much of it is free flow? Like, 
I want to believe that, yeah, as Martin says, it's all get ball, do something inspiring. But how much of your brain is kind of going through, oh, hey, where am I supposed to be in this play? What's my zonal marking supposed to be? Where where am I at with rotations? How, how much of your kind of cerebrum are you using? I don't even know if that's the right word, cerebellum. How much of your thinking brain and how much of it is instinct? Well, I'd have two things to say about this. I think first and foremost that it's all in comparison, right? I think rugby is a good example. Uh, American football is an even better example, in my opinion, of a game that is 100% without free-flowing form. It's rigid. It's short. It's all power. It's all, you know, written up on a play sheet. It's all, you know, done by the coaches. And there's very little um, room for nuance. And to answer your question, Danny, what I would say is that of course, in the modern game, there's so many requirements on players from a mental standpoint in terms of where I need to be, what I need to do. But to um, to Martin's point, the magic of the game still happens in the instinct. And it still happens in those moments where a player forgets about everything he's supposed to do and simply does what he needs to do or what he wants Beautiful. to do. Beautiful. Beautiful. And, and that's where we see the magic of the game. And it's not lost. I mean, there's still a thousand moments in the game where you go, Wow. Look at that. I mean, watching Caleb Daniel play, he's not thinking. He's running rings around people. Oh, someone like Aaron <laughs> Norton taking a mark on someone's head. I mean, that's not that's nothing but free-form, proper football. And I think that's a lot of the players that we get drawn to in the modern day. Is, um, is there anyone who you watch at the moment, Martin, that really stands out to you in this regard? Wow. Uh, what a question. Um, well, I, I, I have a... I have a relationship with Chris Lewis, who you might remember, the, the great West Coast Eagles player from the 90s, who copped more racism, I reckon, than Adam Goods did. Mm-hmm. And um, he rings me every now and then, and um, he, he, he fell out of love with the game, which I thought was really sad because he was such a great player. And the last time he rang me, he, he, he was happy to talk about the game. And um, I said to him, who's... Who's the greatest player of the last 10 years? And, and there's this silence on the phone and he goes, Cyril? <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, uh, he was five thoughts ahead of everyone else. Um, you could see what he was thinking and then he was good enough to do it. And I said, to him, well, that's the difference between you and me, Louis. I never knew what Cyril was going to do before he did it. <laughs> 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 But, you know, Cyril was like a psychedelic blur when he was going through packs. I mean, he was he was just the most wonderful thing to watch. And um, you know, I, I uh, you know, I obviously Bonty Bonty's um, you know, he's a Ferrari. Um and we love watching him and Aaron Norton and um I love watching Petrarca. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I love watching. I love watching the great players, and my my judgment of a great game is when it makes me stop thinking about climate change, stop thinking about <laughs> stop thinking about you know, and and that's that's what a great game is to me. And uh, I still see great games, so I'm. I, I I don't know whether you've noticed, but on on the internet. Every now and again now, there's an American saying, I think Australian football might be the greatest sport in the world. Mm-hmm. It might be. It's a brilliant bloody game. And, um, and, and when, it, when, when, when it's really good, it is so good. And, uh, 
you know, if it was a world game, you can imagine what it would be like. It would be, it would be stunning. That is something that I think the AFL should be aiming for long term uh, is, you know, definitely world domination. It won't happen in our lifetimes, but it'll be beautiful. I will correct you on one thing, uh, Flanagan. Um, yeah. Sirioli was great to watch. I wouldn't say he brought me joy because it was always Hawthorne getting a goal <laughs> when that happens. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, how much do you still watch? We, we, I don't know if we've, we've talked about it uh, off air. You don't watch as much footy uh, these days. Are nah. you still – I mean – Famously, you don't even have a team. I mean, we all know you go for the dogs. Everyone does. <laughs> I love the dogs, mate. But I spent a lot of time with Melbourne. I love them. Um, I, I would love to see, you know, Melbourne or the dogs win this year. Uh, I, I wrote two books on the dogs and I I learned about the club and I learned about the history of the club and um, that, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm only telling you and... People like you, what you already know, but, I mean, 2016 was one of the great footy rides. And, mm-hmm. again, another of the stories in in A Wink from the Universe that I personally love was the English guy who, who was getting into footy and he sat up and watched the grand final. And it he was... It, it, it was like a religious experience for him because it was such <laughs> a powerful... You know, it was so good, and he by by dawn, he he was completely into it, and his family woke up, and he couldn't explain it to any of them. <laughs> <laughs> There's a comedian in Glasgow called uh, Ray Bradshaw, who's a massive Partick Thistle fan, and oh, yeah. he was out 2016 for the Melbourne Comedy Festival, yeah. and I took him to a, I took him to a game. I said, "I'll oh, come watch Aussie Rules. I'll go show you the dogs," and he yeah. he came along to round three. Where Bob did his knee and Hawthorne oh, won in the dunk. Great game. It was a brilliant game. And he, yeah. he did ask me, uh, like before the match, he goes, So what happens when the umpire, why is the umpire blown his whistle usually? <laughs> and I, I said, What's going to happen if the umpire blows his whistle? And I said, He'll give the private school kids a free kick. <laughs> and literally, halfway through the first quarter, he turned to him and went, you, you weren't joking, were you, pal? They love those yellow bastards. But anyway, he went back to Glasgow. But I was getting – I got a message from him after the grand final. He went, I stayed up. I thought Stringer pulled that game, that goal out of his arse. It was amazing. He's now like the biggest Bulldogs fan in Glasgow. So it, it really did encapsulate, yeah, the whole world. Uh, no, it's, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing, Australian football. It's a great athletic invention. It is. Yeah, I agree. Brilliant. I agree. It, it either it either um, converts people or confuses them. I've found over the years. Oh, very well put. Very well. Put. <laughs> yeah. Tom, I've got well, a quest, I've got a question for you, and you've probably been yeah. asked a million times, so I hope I'm not boring you. But out of the 2016 Grand Final, give me one memory, one moment, one mem- what's what's one memory that comes to you? And you don't have to uh, say my banner boy, it's fine. I know it was the highlight. But, uh. <laughs> I think the one that um, stands out to me, Martin, because it, it is a big blur, but one of the ones that actually pierces through that period of time is just before half time. Um, there's a ruck contest down in the forward 50 for the Swans, and I'm in a ruck contest with, um, what was their ruckman's name that year? Kennedy. Got, nah, the other one, the, the ruckman. Oh, the other anyway, one. Anyway, um, and. Um, I actually dislocate my shoulder and then oh, they win the tap and Tom Mitchell roves the stoppage and kicks a goal. And that's just before halftime. So I think we go in two points up or something at halftime or something like that. 
then I have to run back to the middle with a dislocated shoulder that's just popped back in and go and do another rock contest. And they go up oh. and try and tap the ball with like two hands. And then I spend the entirety of the halftime break, including Bebo's address, getting my shoulder sprayed and wiped down from sweat and re-strapped and ready to go again, and then go out and have a great second half. That's the one that actually pierced the thrill above everything. You've never mentioned that before. Ah, great story. I, I, can't you did remember, that. I can't remember which bits are like common knowledge at this stage and which bits are, like <laughs> I haven't told everyone, so... Um, yeah, that's one that really pierces through because everyone always asks about the goal. Everyone always asks about you know the big moments, but most of that is a blur. I mean, those bits where I had like twenty minutes to sit in the pain and agony of a sore shoulder, <laughs> oh. that, that that pierces through the veil. Now, Danny, oh. should we get to a bit of listener mail and, and get on top of uh, what the fans want to know from? Um, yeah, that's Plano? true. Yep, absolutely. Uh, we had a great question from uh, Will, who I know is a, a fan who lives in uh, Oakland or San Francisco, but he had a question for Martin about uh, what are your favorite, I mean, you talk about the Bulldogs being a great story, but he wanted to know what are your favorite sports arcs? So great stories of maybe redemption for an athlete, and this doesn't have to be Aussie rules, this can be all sports, but you know, maybe some players who were a hero and then the villain and then the hero again. Or teams that uh, you know went on the journey from great to terrible to great. Wow! I mean, I I, I wish I had more time to think about that. Um, I I mean that I would like to give that a serious answer, and I'm sure I could, but I'd really need time to think about that. That is a hard hitting question from the fans. Yeah, Danny. probably should have texted it, it to you before. Yeah, probably could have like, called like, 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 um, I'm. You know, um, I mean, uh, you know, great sports stories. I mean, Muhammad Ali. You know, I mean, what a what a story. You know, one of the great figures of the twentieth century. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Do you follow many other sports apart from footy? I love all sport, um, and I can watch all sport, uh, but footy's my game. I always say that being a footy rider in Melbourne was like would, is like being a jazz man in New Orleans. I just love it. <laughs> and I love nothing more than when the players lo- tell me they loved when I, you know, when I played on my horn. You know, I love it. You know, uh, yeah. It wasn't the words he wrote; it was the words he didn't write that really made the stories. <laughs> um, but yeah, I loved athletics, boxing. Um, um, I've got a granddaughter who's a very good swimmer, so I'm starting to get more interested in that. Did you watch much of the Olympics? I mean, that Bruce McAvaney is so good at turning any any sport or athlete story into it's you know, a Flanagan esque skill he has. <laughs> well, Was there any I, moments in the Olympics that really got to you? Well, because I, as I said, I've got a granddaughter who's a very good swimmer who wants to, you know, seriously pursue that. Um, so uh, we, we watched a lot of the swimming and we live in Launceston, Tasmania, and this is Ariana Titmus's hometown, so we watched a lot of that. But um, I love the 5,000, I love the 10,000. Yeah, I, 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 you know, athletics, swimming, uh, boxing, Daniel Gill, um, you know, Lionel Rose. I love all those stories, mate. I also have a question for both of you. What music do you play when you're watching footy? 
Wow, great question. For me, Bill Evans, jazz. Ah. Do you change the, the, the music as depending on how the game's going? Like if you're watching a, a slog between, you know, Freo and the Crows that you don't really care about, you put on some, you know, so, something upbeat to try and make it interesting or? No, it's more like the great sin for commentators is to get between the viewer and the action. <laughs> and so many of them do it. They talk too much. The great Richie Benno, he said, if you cannot add to the picture on the screen, say nothing. And so many commentators say too, too, too much. So uh, when I put music on, I don't want it to come between me and the action. I'm watching the game because I love the action. You know, it, a lot of commentary, it would be like if you were listening to a jazz piece and the guy's going, you know, um, the saxophone went high there, but if he'd gone away there, the drums could have come in there or the, the double bass could have done this. I don't want to hear any of that. I want to, I want to enjoy the play, you know. that one, one of the great cliches of sport I hate is about when they say sport is work. To me, the genius of sport is that it's play and I want to watch them play. Tom, what do you listen to? I think... Good question. I've got um, I've got uh, Bob Dylan in the record player at the moment, so probably nice. that. But it really does depend. I, I'm a bit of a bit of a everyday man. I, I sort of listen to a lot of different things. Have we, we got any other questions, house, Danny? Be, it, oh, there's a few more. I was just going to say, if, if if I was doing that at my place, we'd be uh, watching the dogs uh, triumph to all, all of the Wiggles' greatest hits. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, I'm disappointed. I love, I really love the Wiggles. I'm disappointed they're doing the Uber Eats ads. They got, you know, that's that's they're almost selling out now. I know they're a big commercial enterprise, but uh, anyway, that's my that's my political statement about the Wiggles. <laughs> um, Jeff had a question of, uh, do any of us own a pair of footy boots and experience playing full forward? Because there's a position going at Witten Oval. Now, me and Martin will give it a go, but Tom, uh, can you? Has anyone at the club contacted you about filling in to complete the? I mean, what an arc that would be! He retires and then comes back wearing his old jumper. The, the best bit would be when I turn up and they're just like, "Geez, Joshy Bruce looks like he's put on a few kilos." <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, a real question though. Um, Ali wanted to know, uh, you know, how is the are you Martin? Are you seeing many of the signs of sixteen for this year? Uh, well, I think that um, I, I, you know, I mean, Tom's been there. I haven't, but I think the fact that a significant number of uh, the dogs players have been there and know what it takes, I think that's a great advantage to take into a final series. Um, I've got a question for Tom, actually. <laughs> um, like everyone's talking about Bonty, but when I watch the dogs, I mean Bonty's a beautiful player, but McCray is an incredible player, I reckon. Um, the the balls he gets in tight situations and his ability to use the ball in minimum time and space. Um, he's um, he. How good a player do you think McRae is, Tom? Because he played a great game in that 2016 grand final. He was he was totally overlooked. He got something like 36 possessions. Yeah. yeah. 
I um I played with Jacko since I was 16 years old, um, and I've never seen him play a game that has been bad. I've never no. seen it. Um, he's no. been one of the most underrated players. Like we can pass the fact that Bonchi's obviously like one of the great players that I've ever seen. But yeah. Jacko, you know, if Jacko was in any other club and he wasn't sitting underneath Bonchi's wing, you know, be talking about him every yeah. single week. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I think it's a great call. Uh, I've certainly seen, um, and, and to be honest, I think that, you know, Bonte in the past had to shoulder the load to the middle of the ground by himself. Um, and this yeah. year, we, we're overwhelming teams with our talent through that portion. I mean, you yeah. look across Dunkley, Chalor, Bailey Smith, um, seven other Baileys we've got in the team, um, obviously <laughs> Hunter, McRae, Bonte, that, the list goes on. There's so many great players through the middle of the ground that's really um, yeah. overwhelming teams at the moment. And that's why, honestly, against any team, we're going to have a, an opportunity to win. Whether we win or not is going to be a, a different thing. But with that middle um, of the ground, I think we'll always be a chance for sure. Yeah. 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 Do you think uh, Jack McRae should have won the Norm Smith or should that have gone to uh, my co-host? <laughs> well, <laughs> the great Tom Liberatore said to me, the debate about the 2016 Norm Smith medal shows what a good team we were because you can make a case for about five different players because Tom Liberatore's third quarter in the 2016 grand final was epic because mm-hmm. Kennedy had nearly pulled you apart in the second quarter and Tom Liberatore went on to him in the third quarter and there was that passage of play uh, about 10 minutes in where no one could get the ball and it was it was just totally disputed possession and in the end he's the one who gets it and he's also the bloke who turned up at the grand final without his boots. <laughs> true. That is true. Oh, I think that's actually probably the best way to describe it. I, I think um, you've Thank you for telling me uh, telling me what Tom has said because that gives me an easy out for every time that Danny tries to pester me with that question from now on. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, another a couple more uh, questions. Uh, someone just wanted to know uh, – I can't find who, who it was. I think it was uh, Matty. Uh, just wanted to know, um, with when you write a book like Wink from the Universe and it's read yep. by people who know the ending, how do you keep that story interesting? Well, I think the first rule in sports writing, um, you must interest yourself. Ah. And uh, if you interest yourself, because if you don't interest yourself, you're writing writing a formula. So you must interest yourself. And, And my greatest hope for that book is that when I'm dead and in 20, 30, 40 years after I'm dead, some Bulldog supporter will read that and get joy from it. And if that happens, well, I will be a happy man. <laughs> That's beautiful. A final question we have. Uh, John uh, wanted to know, what are your thoughts about an AFL team for Tassie? Like surely you're I'm, – I'm all for it. I think we absolutely need one and we need one in the Northern Territory. Um, would you would, – would, how passionate are you about it? Well, when I came back to Tassie, one of the first things I got involved in was a book on uh, footy on the west coast of Tasmania. And I I spent five years of my youth growing up on the west coast of Tasmania, which is not like any other part of Tasmania. In the last hundred years, they had eight different football associations and over 100 different clubs. 
They now have no football associations and two clubs, one of which might be lucky to see out the season. Oh. And people have to understand footy, the magic of footy, is that it's this world-class game played by a tiny proportion of the world's population. And the AFL's sacred responsibility is to nurture and protect the game. And it's now got the situation in Tasmania. I think, and a lot of people think, I'm not qualified to speak on Tasmanian football. There are people down here who, who know a lot more and have done a lot more. But I... I, I think they are right in saying if they do not get an AFL club down here which excites the population to commit back into Australian football, then the game could die down here. And it's only ever really proliferated in four parts of Australia. And, uh, you know, the game cannot afford to lose Tasmania. Brilliant. That's what we yeah, I, I agree. We absolutely need, need to get it in there. Uh, you know, call it, you know, even call it the, the Tassie. Like there is the debate, you know, do you have a Launceston team, a Hobart team? Just call it the Tasmania team. Unite the state. Call it the, the Devils or the, the Dolphins or whatever. Just just get it done. I couldn't yeah. agree more. The final question we have is where do we get the book? Uh, I put this up on uh, on on our socials and and everyone was espousing how much they love the book. But, uh, I mean, where, where do people buy books these days, Martin? Well, that's a very good question. Ring your local bookshop and ask them to order it for you. Yeah, they, it's still in print? They can do that? I believe so. Okay, that's a win. <laughs> that's a win. And where, where, are you writing anything now? I see you on Rowan Connolly's Footyology, great website. Yeah, I, I'm. Um, I, I I I am. Um, I I I wrote the eulogy for my first ever footy hero, Graham Gypsy Lee. It was a great uh, read. I, I, I had a look at it tonight. It was. Yeah. It made me really want to just learn more about Tasmanian football. Yeah, Tasmanian Aboriginal fella, and he took this team called East Devonport, who never won anything. For a premiership in 1968, which was so like the Bulldogs win in 2016, and they came from nowhere, and I was at the time in this Catholic boarding school, which wasn't a happy place, and I wasn't very connected to anything, and I didn't really believe in anything, and I saw this wonderful theatre, this wonderful sporting theatre, and that was where I sort of fell in love with the game, and... He and I became very close friends and in later life and he asked me to speak at his funeral. So um, that was the eulogy I gave at his funeral. And um, and then more recently um, I went down the Tarkon, the Tasmanian Wilderness, with, with seven six blokes I played footy with in the 1970s. Uh, the Tarkon's a wilderness area. A mining company's putting a uh, tailings dam into it. Um, and one of the blokes I played footy with was arrested. And so six of us went down to uh, to check all that out. Six blokes to I played footy. To bust him out. Yeah. <laughs> and I hadn't really seen him, some of them, for 40 years. Um, and um, But it was the best footy reunion I've ever been to. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we can still read you on uh, on footyology and yeah. you can order these books uh, yeah. everywhere. Hey, Tom, have you noticed just the way Martin talks about footy? 
Like I just found myself then uh, just having a look at, is the fixture out yet? Because I just want to watch footy right now. I don't care if it's the North Melbourne-Sydney Swans game. It just The way he makes everything sound, you know, this this graceful theatre. I just want to, oh, you just make me love football, Martin. Uh, no, when, mate, when it's great, it's the most beautiful thing. Still remember, Tommy, that goal you kicked on your left foot in the 2016 grand final from the forward pocket. How That was a bloody beautiful goal. Yeah, speaking of poetry, hey Martin, it was uh, it was very very nice. <laughs> Are you talking about uh, his first one, Martin, the one from the pocket? I'm talking about the one from the pocket on his left foot. I yeah, reckon it was, it was the beautiful. second quarter, Tom. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I remember. I think we mentioned this when Will Anderson was on, but Will Anderson was near me and he said, look, our million-dollar guy's got got a goal. Their million-dollar guy doesn't. We're on. We're on here. <laughs> the thing I remember is I think in the third quarter when the dogs were coming and I was on the second story of the MCG and literally the concrete beneath my feet started to, you know, shake. And, you know, that, that expression, the place was rocking. That you know, and who knows with COVID, will will we ever get a crowd like that again? But that was the loudest grand final I ever went to, and I I went to thirty odd grand finals during my time in Melbourne. But the two, the eighty nine grand final was an epic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ninety three grand final was really special. Um, But but the two happiest days I ever had at AFL footy were the two thousand sixteen grand final and and the ninety three grand final. It was, yeah, it, I don't want to be biased, but uh, 16 craps all over 93. <laughs> Martin, thank you so much for, no, for coming on. Right. We'll tell our, all our listeners should check you out on uh, Footyology, follow you yeah. on socials, and yeah, uh, yeah get, a, get a copy of the book somehow. Ring your bookshop, or I think there's ones on eBay, but, uh, you know, we want Martin to get some residuals. So uh, <laughs> ring up your bookshop, support local business is what we need. Uh, Tommy, do you need to, have you got to plug anything at the moment? Oh, we lost Tom Boyd. I think we have. He's gone all frozen. Oh, well, we'll wrap up the episode. Martin, do you have anything else to plug? No, mate. Just no, mate. Sweet. Just living life. Yeah. Well, uh, I did have gigs to plug, but uh, lockdown happened, so don't worry about that. Uh, I'm doing a play soon. I'll I'll hit you all up. Thanks for listening, folks. Uh, It's been a brilliant episode, Martin. We're going to probably get you on again just to relive all the magic of football. Thanks for joining us. Ah, Thank you, mate. And uh, I'll never forget your banners in the previous (laughs) year. Thank you, sir. I I don't want to tell... Well, Boydie's not here. You're right. I'm the reason we won. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Martin. See you, mate. Bye. Get in the car, I get on my way. Riding on past where the doggies play. I'm on my own. Today's episode was proudly brought to you by 8 Star Energy, creating energy for the future and power you can count on. Follow them on Facebook at 8 Star Energy. Says it grinding and it grooving when I go there. Lion snakes tail in my underwear. What the hell did I just find? What they say, there's no. Fast way out of foot spray. Oh, cause I can hear the echo of Bobby Gray.